0: Okay, three things I want to help you get out of this famous passage. First of all, I want to help you understand the context. Second, I want to help you feel the challenge. And third, I want to help you respond to the invitation, the context, the challenge, and the invitation. And really through it all at every step of the way, I want you to see is that your greatest need is more of the presence of God. So that's the plan. Let's start by looking at the context. Really, to understand this whole story, the first thing we need to realize is that for the people of Israel, this is a moment of great transition, They've been wandering, if you remember, around in the wilderness for an entire generation. All the while, they've dreamt of maybe one day going into the promised land. And now, finally, they're about to enter this land that's flowing with milk and honey. An entire generation have told stories around the campfire, imagining, dreaming what it would be like. This has been the thing they've prayed about they have anticipated, they have longed for above all else. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, after all of these years of waiting, God appears to Moses and he says, okay, now it's time to go, but I'm not coming with you. Now this is absolutely huge. It's going to mean a vast transition at pretty much every level of their experience. First of all, it's going to be a physical transition from one geographical location to another. Secondly, it's going to be a transition economically as they go from God's provision being completely supernatural with this miraculous manna appearing every morning to feed them All of that's going to dry up, and they're going to have to start farming and plowing and sowing and waiting for the season to come round to harvest time. They're going to have to get used to the slowness of how things work in the natural cycle of things. And then there's also going to be a political shift. Moses has been the perfect guy to lead them in the wilderness season, but it's going to take so a different kind of leader to go in and take possession of the land and then settle down and live in it. And Joshua is the guy. He, he loves the Lord like Moses. He, he very much honors Moses, but he's kind of a different personality type. He's this militant, courageous, faith built leader, which is kind of what it's going to take to go in and conquer the promised land. And then as well as a political shift, they're going to go through a pretty profound cultural shift as well. They're going to have to transition from being these nomads wandering around in the wilderness to dwellers in homes with land for each of them to look after. So there are changes on pretty much every level. And this is certainly true at the spiritual level as well. Spiritually, There is going to be a huge change because up until now, God has guided them, if you remember the story, with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It's as though God has made this as easy as possible. Where the cloud or the fire move, then you move. And when it stops, you stop. Wouldn't you love it if it was as straightforward and simple as that Nowadays, but it's not going to be like that anymore. The cloud and the fire are going to disappear, and they're going to have to discern for themselves and listen to the prophets and study the law. And so, all of these different dynamics are at play in this story. I want to see first off, it is a profound shift. I don't know, maybe some of you personally. Can relate with this. Maybe things are changing around you right now. Maybe it is a geographical change. Perhaps you've recently moved here, or or maybe you're preparing to move away. Maybe there's an economic shift. Perhaps there's a promotion or the threat of redundancy. Maybe you're looking for work right now or considering a career change. Maybe you're transitioning into a season of retirement. Maybe there's a cultural change. Maybe you are getting married or having children or preparing for your children to leave home. Maybe there are some spiritual shifts taking place. Maybe you're new to the faith. We we celebrate every person among us who's recently come to know Jesus or maybe you're sitting there, and in all honesty, you'd have to say, well, look, I'm just struggling with my faith right now. Maybe there are some pretty big challenges just around the corner for you. So some pretty dark shadows that are hanging over your life right now. Maybe you are fearful about the future. Now, whether or not you can relate to all of this on an individual level, I think probably all of us can agree that we're living through an almighty time of transition on a national level. Uh, As we've been seeing in our series in the book of Daniel, it's like culturally speaking, the ground has shifted beneath our feet. We've moved past the point where what Christians believe is merely mocked or simply thought of as irrelevant, we're now facing a pretty significant aggressive agenda to change our beliefs to fit with what's acceptable to our society. And if we don't do that, we face losing our business, our jobs, our freedom to meet, even potentially our families. And then of course, There's the dreaded uncertainty around Brexit and what life is going to look like for us after the 29th of March. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but for sure it will end up impacting all of us in some way. Now, here's what I want you to see. In a time of transition, the choices that we make are disproportionately important. I'll say that again. In a time of transition, the choices that we make are disproportionately important. It's like there are certain times that are really, really crucial because they very much set the tone and pretty much define the next number of months, years, and decades of our life. And so at a time of transition, very often God will draw close to us and test our hearts. And really, that's the second thing that we need to understand by way of context if we're to fully grasp what's happening here in this story. It's a time of testing for God's people, a time of transition and a time of testing. You know, because God loves us, deeply he will regularly check that our priorities in life are correctly set like he doesn't want us just on spiritual autopilot just kind of drifting into that new school or that new role at work or that new relationship no he wants us to prioritize the most important things at those times And so here are the people of Israel facing this pivotal moment in their history. And God comes to them and, if you like, chucks them the keys to this brand new kingdom and says, see you later, I'm not coming with you. Which as we read it or as we hear it, sounds incredibly harsh, doesn't it? Because simply putting them to the test, I mean, of course he wants to go with them, but he needed them to make the decision for themselves. It's a time of testing for them. So he says, look, I'm willing to give you military success. I'm going to give you as a gift in my grace this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you economic prosperity. I'll give you power and wealth in abundance, but I won't be dwelling in your midst. I don't know what you think, but I reckon nowadays most people would consider that a dream scenario. It's like you're getting all the help you want, you're getting wealth and power and success, but you don't have to go to all that incredibly hard work of drawing near to God and examining your life and taking, making sure everything in your life revolves around Him. Look, the, the, the setup that God is offering Moses here is what I think most people in the world really want. If there is a God, they for sure want him to help them without them having to do a whole lot in response. If you like, they want the kingdom, the benefits of the kingdom, without the king. They want all the benefits of knowing God without the inconvenience of living for God. It's kind of what Moses is being offered here by God but as we saw he will have none of it. Verse 15, Moses said to God if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? He says if you're not going to go with us If you're not going to give us your presence, just don't send us up at all. You can keep your success. You can keep your wealth. You can keep your promised land. Keep it all. I'm just not interested. Listen. Whatever you are facing right now, whether you're going through a season of transition or a season of testing your greatest need is the presence of God. Here's why. End of verse 16, Moses says, For what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now those words right there, I reckon, strike right at the root of two of the things that our culture values the highest. And so, let's make sure we don't miss the challenge of this passage. We've looked at the context, now I want us to look at the challenge. I think the first thing that Moses addresses here is the whole issue of identity. It's like, what distinguishes you from everyone else on the face of the earth is what makes you you, and not just another nameless face in a crowd. And so what he's saying is, God, thanks for the offer of power and wealth, but we don't want those distinguishing markers. We don't want those things to give us our identity. You see, in the world, if I feel like I'm wealthy, if I feel like I have got power and influence, if I have those things then I'm somebody. I'm not just anybody. I'm somebody. I have an identity. But Moses is saying here, actually, no, you don't. He says, I know better that those things aren't the things that can really deep down give you that identity that you need most. I think he's being incredibly perceptive. He recognizes that, all these things that we are looking to get our identity from are merely forms of glory. But sadly, way too often, we're content to settle for a form of glory that will not ultimately last. Now, just to say, this word glory, it's a, a kind of churchy word. We, we sing songs about glory. We ask for God to come with more glory it's a, hard, it's a word that's really hard to define. Uh, on the one hand, it, it means weightiness, it means solidity, it means reality, but it also means importance and significance. Uh, the, the only English word that I know of that gets anywhere close to this, which makes it sound like I know loads of words in other languages that come close to this. I really don't. I don't know any words anywhere that come close to this uh, other than the English word matter. Because matter, on the one hand, refers to the physical weightiness, something that really is incredibly heavy. That's Matter. But matter also means significance and importance. You matter. And the reality is, human beings cannot live without glory. It's like we all need this deep assurance that we matter. And a lot of us think that the way to prove we matter is by chasing professional glory or artistic glory or academic glory, maybe political glory or perhaps financial glory. We're desperately trying to achieve. We are constantly trying to excel and get ahead. Now for those of us who are trying to do it that way, essentially what we're really looking for at the end of the day is for someone to come up to us and say, I think you are the best. I've read your stuff. I've listened to your music. And I think you're the best. We've looked around and we want to hire you because you in your field are the best. I mean, when someone says that, and someone looks you in the eye and says, you are the best, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's a great feeling, isn't it? Uh, You might say, well, that's just ego. But I think it's a little more than that. In that moment, you feel like you are real. You realize you matter. What you're doing matters. I don't know, maybe you're struggling to relate to this. You wouldn't say that you're looking for financial glory or artistic glory or academic glory or professional glory. Or perhaps another way of putting it is to say we are looking for love. Because when someone loves you, when, when someone misses you when you're not around, when someone cares for you deeply and says, I love you, that's when we feel real. That's when we feel like we matter to somebody. And I think Moses understands this. He recognizes that we're all looking for glory in some way, but he's also wise enough to know that the wealth and the power, all all of the things that God is saying he will give them, there are many forms of glory that are bound to fade over time. It's like you think you have them, and then the next day they're gone. And then you don't even have a self anymore, because those were the things that defined you. Listen, if that is what distinguishes you from others, if that is where your identity lies, when it's gone then effectively you are gone as well. Worse than that, these things don't just fade, but as Tim Keller puts it, they fade you. You see, it's one thing just to go out and work and make money. I mean, that's a good thing. Please go out and work and make as much money as you want to. Those are good things. But if you're actually trying to get that stuff to get an identity out of it, If your very self is based on your success, over time it will just end up driving you into the ground. You will overwork. It will consume you. In a similar way, if you're desperately seeking love, again, that's great. Keep looking for love. But if you're seeking love so you know that you matter. if you look at someone and say, wow, if you love me, then I know I'm Okay. I'd suggest you are putting way too much weight on that person or that experience than they'll ever be able to stand up under. They'll never be able to provide what you want them to provide. Dare I say that all of these feelings can even creep into our attitude towards the church. I mean, it's great to be committed. Please keep being committed it is great to want to serve. Would that we have more people who want to serve. It's great to want to use your gifts. Please keep exploring the gifts that God has given you. But if all of that is where your identity is, if you're looking for worth from what you do, if your service is even slightly about your personal quest for glory, then you're setting yourself up for a whole lot of frustration, disappointment, and hurt. You know, over the years, I've witnessed any number of people like hop from church to church to church to church, ending up more and more misunderstood and disillusioned and cynical and burnt out because no church, however good it is, can ever truly give them what they are looking for. Moses is saying, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't even send us up from here. Keep your ministry success. Keep your loving, happy families. Keep your six figure salary. Keep your dream home. I don't want my identity to be based on any of that stuff because at the end of the day, all those things fade and are fading. Now, unless we have your loving presence in the center of our lives, we have nothing. And so I think Moses prays for something we all need. He asks God for glory and refuses to accept anything less than the very presence of God. I think The second thing that Moses challenges here, the first thing is identity. The second thing is the rampant Independence that my observation is would characterize our society massively right now. I think nowadays, if God made the offer to us that he made to Moses, we just wouldn't bat an eyelid. We'd simply shrug and march into the promised land all by ourselves. I mean, what's the big deal about God's presence anyway? It's like, our culture champions the individual and keeps preaching to us the message that we just need to search for the power within ourselves and be who we really are. And we don't need anybody else because we're awesome. And so there's this tendency to fight in our own strengths and go it alone and be self-sufficient. But really, that's not how we're designed. We weren't made for independence. Now, to illustrate the point, I'll invite you all to stand. Uh, in inviting you to stand, that doesn't mean we're finished. Uh, there is more to come. You'll be relieved to hear, but I'd like you to stand. And on the count of three, I would like all of you to slowly breathe out without taking another breath. And if at any point over the next few hours you feel like you can't keep going with that and you need to take in some more air, then please sit down. I mean, I don't want anyone passing out or dying in here. and It would be a memorable morning, but we don't want any of that. So uh, you understand, just keep breathing out without taking another breath. Maybe you want to take in a breath now so you can keep going for a while. Okay, stop breathing in. Now start breathing out on the count of three and sit down when you need some more breath. One, two, three, breathe out. when you need to breathe, sit down. <laughs> Getting slightly <laughs> nervous here. You're doing well, but some of you are turning purple. You need to sit down. <laughs> if you just laughed, you're just taking a breath, so you can sit down as well. <laughs> well, some people with real stamina here. A bit, a bit of applause for these people. Oh, Come on. Oh. Yeah. That they're dropping now. Hopefully, still breathing. <laughs> 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 Ray, round of applause, round of applause. <laughs> that was slightly longer than I was anticipating. <laughs> I've got some people with some stamina in here. But the reality is, have a look round. No one is currently standing up other than myself and I wasn't taking part. Now, here's my point. You can't do it. You can't keep the breath out. At some point, you have to open your nasal passage or your mouth and you have to fill your lungs again. But I think many of us effectively go through life just breathing out. We simply keep going in our own breath, and we can keep going for a while, some of us for an impressive length of time, but eventually we all just need to stop and breathe in. Look, if we insist on living without breathing in the presence of God, we are just going to end up exhausted, and all of our hopes and our dreams will shrivel up and die. and I don't want that for any of you. So what's the solution? Well, we follow the example of Moses and we simply refuse to go any further without God's presence, which is a challenge because, as we've been saying, our culture's view of how to get there is through human energy and striving. As the Australian cultural commentator Mark Sayers Uh, It's got a brilliant podcast, This Cultural Moment. Uh, Check that out. It's just brilliant stuff. As Mark Sayers puts it, our culture believes in progress without presence. It very much wants the kingdom without the king. Now, how's that working out right now? I mean, it isn't working on a cataclysmic scale from knife crime to awful sex abuse scandals, to people trafficking, to the unworkable pressure on the NHS and those in education, our society is broken. But instead of learning the lesson, our society thinks the solution is even more independence and even more self-sufficiency, and we are running headlong towards an almighty crash. Please, let's be smarter than the people around us and let's pursue God's presence with everything we've got. Let's put to death independence and self-sufficiency, and let us resolve to find our identity in him. Let's make his presence both the end destination and the means of getting there. All of which sounds very soundbitey, but what on earth does that look like in the real world? Well, let me close this out with an invitation. We've seen the context, we've seen the challenge. I want to finish with an invitation because right now I believe your Heavenly Father is inviting you to prioritize your relationship with Him. Over and above all the things you're really busy with right now, really valid things, really important things. He wants time with you. And I think the example of Moses here gives us a couple of helpful insights into how to practically work this out. The first way that Moses pursued the presence of God was by living his life in conversation with God. It says in verse 11 that Moses spoke with God face to face as one speaks with a friend. One of the great invitations to all of us is that whatever comes, the highs and the lows, we walk and talk with God in daily conversation just as we would with a close friend because that is who he is. I mean, how incredible is that? The sovereign God of the universe the creator of everything invites you to walk and talk with him through each and every day. Now, here's what I know. When you pray about the tiny things in life, you end up living with greater gratitude. Because if you only ever pray about really, really, really big stuff like, God, stop all war in the Middle East and end all world poverty, which are great things to pray for, by the way. But if those are the only things you ever pray for, then you're only ever going to be occasionally grateful. But if you bring God into all the smaller things, if you walk and talk with him through the detail of everyday life, then you're going to find yourself continuously giving thanks to him. And that will give you all the encouragement and the motivation you need to keep the conversation Going. So that's one of the ways that we prioritize God's presence. There's something else in this passage. According to verse 7, Moses has put up this tent of meeting, this tabernacle just on the edge of their encampment, and that is the place where God dwells. And we're told that Moses and anyone who needed to inquire of the Lord would go out there to seek him. Look, if you want to prioritize the presence of God, It not just an individual thing. There is something special about going out and meeting with God together. Of course, you don't need to have to go to a special place in order to meet with God. I mean, I've just been emphasizing, haven't I, the fact you can talk with him anytime, anywhere, all by yourself. But I think there's something about coming together like we are today to seek God, to pray, that that there's something about that that is particularly powerful. John Unwachequa, in his book on the power of praying together, he makes the point that prayer is mentioned no less than 21 times in the book of Acts. Furthermore, these prayers are inherently corporate. By corporate, he means with other people. He says, whenever prayer is mentioned in the book of Acts, it overwhelmingly involves others. It's like there's something about praying together, there's something about praying with others that can bring a greater breakthrough. He goes on to say, prayer is oxygen for the Christian. Remember when most of you nearly passed out a few moments ago? Prayer is oxygen for the Christian. It sustains us. And so it follows that prayer must be a source of life for any community of Christians. It is to the church what it is to individuals, breathing. And yet many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. This would explain why people seem to have so little energy for actually living out the Christian life. But breathing together is what our churches need. And if you need any further persuasion or convincing, have a listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, oh yes, the prayer meeting. Is that your response? Oh yes, the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is the place to meet with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And this is the way to get his mighty power. If we would have him, we must meet in greater numbers. We must pray with greater fervency. We must watch with greater earnestness and believe with firmer steadfastness. The prayer meeting is the appointed place for the reception of power. Let me hear an amen. 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 You know, faced with the state of our nation right now, I'd humbly suggest that gathering to pray is not an optional extra, it is an absolute necessity. In fact, what if The deeply uncertain time that we're in as a nation right now was actually God testing us to see whether we'll turn to Him and cry out for His presence. What if the brokenness all around us was actually God breaking up the ground in preparation for another outpouring of His Spirit? James Burns and his book about how God renews the world says that there are times in the church's history where it feels like the tide has gone out. But if you stand on the beach and the waves have disappeared and all you can see is sand, there is a time where you know that it is going to come back in. What if we're in a moment like that right now? What if God wants to send another wave of his spirit on this land, if his people would only humble themselves and seek him until he comes? Now, the more I listen to what God's saying prophetically to leaders the length and breadth of this country, I, for one, am increasingly convinced that is how it is. I believe the crisis we're facing right now is also a tremendous opportunity. Right across this land, God is beginning to stir the hearts of his people to seek him with renewed passion and perseverance. I I, I talk with leaders in other churches and sense there's this growing faith, this growing expectation, this growing urgency to meet together to pray for God to come. And really above everything else, my hope, my prayer, my longing is that today would mark a change in us as a church. That together we would not settle for anything less than the powerful, personal presence of God among us.